You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is February 16th, 2023. It's 7.36 p.m. Pacific time. We've been talking about uh, meditation strategies for developing mentalizing and for developing emotional regulation. And I thought that we would talk a little bit about uh, the attachment system, the exploration system, and the collaboration system tonight. Because really when we talk about emotional regulation, we're uh, in, the, in, the, in the purest sense, the idea is to be able to regulate your emotions so that you can explore deeply the things that are meaningful to you. That if you can't regulate your emotions very well, uh, it inhibits your capacity to explore. If your exploration is inhibited, your, your ability to generate a meaningful life is inhibited. And we notice uh, just in the the degree of suffering in the world that so much of the suffering in the world comes from a despair at being alive. Uh, and that really is tied into the, the despair of meaningfulness in life. And if you don't have uh, a capacity to regulate emotions for yourself, then you don't have a capacity to regulate emotions for other people. And so your utility to other people in supporting their exploration is also uh, diminished so that it's harder to form uh, relationships with people that are capable because you don't offer the skill set that they need to be supported in their exploration. So then you find that uh, through uh, this process of uh, skill limitation, uh, an inherent limitation in who's willing to be in relationship to you. So you'll notice in the way that the distribution of uh, attachment strategies goes, secure people tend to pick secure people to be with because they have the skill sets that, that match and are able to support each other in a way that leads to uh, productive exploration, but also the piece about exploration that's so important is the expression of it to somebody else and them being able to receive it and uh, delight in it. To, they support and encourage you to go find something out. And then when you do find something out and come back, they're interested and delighted that you share it with them. So there's a, a cycle that happens. And then an insecure, disorganized attachment, because the skill set isn't there, uh, that doesn't happen. And so you're, in some sense, become self-excluding from that uh, most productive way of exploring. So the attachment system, of course, goes off and compels you to seek proximity to somebody that you find uh, protective. And then uh, when it it's tied to the exploration system, in which it shuts the exploration system down, when the, the attachment system turns off, the exploration system turns on. Jake? So, George, are you saying the most productive way 
of exploring is the relational component of it that you have someone to share that exploration in with? No. What's that misunderstanding? Um, you need to do your solo exploration to find the most meaning. But you need to be able to be supported in being able to do that because if you're not well supported and you uh, uh, find that the outer edges of where you would like to explore are too emotionally dysregulating, you withdraw from the outer edges into a place that's easier to manage. What does that support look like? Well, typically that would be uh, in Dunbar parlance, A's, B's, and C's. A relationships, uh, not everybody likes to have an A relationship, but an A relationship is somebody you see and take care of on a daily or every other day basis. And a B relationship is somebody you take care of on a weekly or every other week basis. And they're above the line in the sense that you communicate everything to, about your experience to them. So we're not saying, of course, that you drag with you a scroll of every dastardly deed you've ever done and that you unfurl it and get somebody to initial every entry. What we're saying is that you are free to express your authentic experience of the present moment without being afraid that if you express something that the other person doesn't like, that they'll abandon you, that level of security. So you can be completely authentic and, uh, and express uh, everything without uh, a fearfulness that you'll be abandoned in the process of doing that. So that's really a part of exploration that you're teaching is not only finding the things that are meaningful, but being in the co-regulating relationship where you can express that and be supported and, and, and have that type of relationship. That's part of the exploration that you're teaching then. Well, it's the attachment and the exploration system linked. Mm. But those relationships aren't necessarily attachment relationships. They're just relationships that are, it, it, am I missing something there? Those are, those are, there's a, those are relationships where attachment skills are exercised, but they aren't necessarily attachment relationships. Well, there, it's like a toggle switch. If the attachment system is on, the exploration system is off. The exploration system is on, the attachment system is off. If you're out there exploring and something frightens you or threatens you, the attachment system will go off and shut down the exploration system. If you don't have anybody who can help you regulate when you're dysregulated and can't regulate yourself, then the exploration system stays off for longer periods of time. Um, is that making sense? So the attachment is really about how you how you co-regulate and find security in co-regulation, and and that that's the main gist of it. Right, that you find somebody who protects you that is capable of emotionally regulating you. Now, so for instance, if we looked at dismissing people, they tend to suppress their attachment system so that their exploration system stays on. And they don't tend to express uh, themselves authentically. They're guarded. They keep secrets. They, they, they give versions of what 
the experiences that they're having, but they don't give a complete uh, picture of it, and it's not particularly authentic. And and they don't and they don't give that to anyone, even their closest relationships. Right. They don't. Uh, they lack the trust. They lack the experience of uh, somebody delighting in them when they share their experience. In fact, often they expect to be rejected for who they authentically are, and so that they present an idealized version of themselves because that was what was required of them when they were children. Um, in fact, uh, as children, there was very little about their authentic expression that was of interest to their caregivers. The caregivers wanted an ideal version of the child that made them look good. That's essentially it. So you uh, idealize the experience of being in a relationship with your parents and you, and you present to them an ideal version of yourself that they want. And so the authentic experience uh, and the authentic self is hidden. And uh, if you grow up in an environment that is not only neglecting, but also rejecting, then uh, you learn that any authentic expression is un unwanted by the caregivers. And so you learn to keep all of it secret. Uh, the neglecting pieces, of course, uh, if you present yourself authentically, you can't get their attention. You have to present in the idealized version that they want in order to get their attention. And so we learn what it is that we need to do in order to get the attention that we want. And we present but, it, and that makes it transactional. But what do they do with all those secrets? What do they do with all the secret self-experiences that they have built up in their life? Um, they hide them. They hide them. from themselves, even. They can hide them from themselves. It depends on how how intense the rejection was. One of the things that happens uh, in all uh, insecure and disorganized attachment is, I call it a pinching off of the imagination. If you're a child and over and over again you try to get something from your caregivers and they reject you eventually you begin to pinch off the recognition that you want that so that you don't have to have the painful experience of being rejected over and over again. So you, you just pinch off that experience from yourself and everyone else so it's not expressed. doesn't mean it doesn't bubble up every now and then, but consciously, for the most part, it's filtered. So when we say that you have an authentic experience and that you allow yourself that experience, that means you allow yourself in on everything. And then you have a way of expressing it externally, uh, which is communicative, whereas somebody who's dismissing often, they filter out the information from themselves. An example of that would be that they don't have much in the way of an embodied sense of emotion uh, at a certain level. They don't feel emotion in the body. They may cognitively know that they are having emotional experiences, but it's not in the body. And in uh, a more extreme form of that is they don't know cognitively even what their emotional experience is. All of that's filtered out. Christian? So George, in, with dismissing people that you work with, they're very good at the secondary exploration. Right. Um, 
Does that mean that as they come into security, they actually have quite a bit of difficulty in doing the primary exploration? Because like while they're good at exploring what's actually what actually matters to them and their values could be totally sort of foreign or 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 something they never really explored. Is that a difficulty or is it actually pretty easy? I think the thing that happens most often is that they they're very accomplished in their false self or, or in their secondary exploration. Uh, and then once they figure out that actually they don't do any or very limited primary exploration, they want to drop the secondary exploration altogether and shift completely into the primary exploration. It usually doesn't work very well because they've built up a whole lifestyle that's based on the secondary exploration which requires the resources of the secondary exploration to continue. They could have a lot to lose if they've been very successful. Well, yeah, from that material, social position, power place, they have a lot to lose. They also have a lot to gain by picking up a primary focus in their exploration. So what usually happens is some negotiation of, of sequestering time, energy, and resources to begin to pursue a nascent primary exploration without sacrificing the secondary exploration. But, you know, depending on how desperate they become, sometimes uh, dismissing people are quite desperate about the, the experience of secondary exploration, which they find to be confining and limiting and completely unrewarding except for the, the the material side. So by the time they actually start looking for an alternative to that, they could be really close to not being able to do the secondary exploration anymore. And so that tends to be uh, quite difficult to manage, particularly if you have relationships which are dependent on your secondary exploration in addition to you being dependent on it. So often, you know, with desisting people, they don't want uh, their spouses to work. And so if they decide all of a sudden that they're just going to give up all of that, the whole lifestyle that's been built up for the for their spouses and children is also put on the line because they don't really track that that well. It could make sense to them to just crunch the whole thing up and abandon everybody. Just the, it's likely not fair, I would say. Why, you know, why would dismissing, dismissing people want their spouses to work? Is that true on both sides, both genders, I mean? It's too threatening to them. They, they don't, what they want is somebody who's so dependent on them that they don't have the option to leave. And that's what makes them feel that they won't be abandoned. They're very sensitive to abandonment. It's usually described as being the person being rejecting. But they invite often a dependency in the relationship so that the other person doesn't have the, the wherewithal to leave them. It's not that the person doesn't have the wherewithal, it's just in the mind of the dismissing person. 
if they can't support a lifestyle that's equivalent to the one that they're providing, they think the person won't leave. And then it, it creates a power dynamic in the relationship, which also makes them feel safe. They have all the power. The other person has no power. That makes them feel safe. It's not, it's an illusion, but it does, but it does translate into them feeling safe often. And, you know, usually dismissing people are engaged with preoccupied people are, are willing to abandon their exploration for physical proximity. So that tends to work. It's a, it's a balancing act. Secure people with secure, dismissing people with preoccupied people tends to be the second most common coupling. Preoccupied people, though, are, are often dissatisfied with that arrangement because it doesn't actually provide the meaning that they want. And so they're constantly hectoring their partner to provide more meaning from them, and they are able to provide material meaning, but not the intimacy that the preoccupied people person often claims that they're interested in. But because they don't explore very well, they don't know their idea of it is what they're they're wanting, not necessarily what it is or what it might be in that relationship constellation. So when you look at the, the way that this develops, we all start as autoregulators when we we're born because we don't really have the capacity to recognize that there's a world outside of us. And then as the brain develops and we begin to notice that in say the five to eight month range, you become more oriented toward external regulation, somebody else coming and uh, helping us. And then if they come reliably enough, then we begin to enter into a collaborative relationship where we express ourselves and they take care of us. And we learn that authentic expression is the way to get our authentic needs met. And then as we get older and we're able to ambulate on our own, we begin to develop the capacity to explore. And if we're supported in exploring the things that are interesting to us, we begin to learn a system of exploration that's meaningful to us, that's rewarding uh, the things that are uh, we, we want to find out, we want to explore. And then uh, we learn emotional regulation, we learn how to do it, we learn to regulate ourselves as we're exploring, and then we know that we can come back to somebody who will help us if we get so distressed that we can't regulate ourselves. Is that making sense? But if that doesn't happen, if somebody doesn't come good enough and they don't collaborate with you, you don't learn to do that. So the collaboration part never develops. Preoccupied people don't collaborate because they, they've never really been instructed on how to do it. Uh, that comes later. That would come from being in relationship to somebody who was reliable and somebody who knew how to collaborate and was willing to collaborate. But if you didn't have that, then you don't have that experience. And if you don't pick it up later in life, which often doesn't happen, then you don't know how to do it. Dismissing people, of course, grow up in a childhood where nobody comes reliably enough that they even learn to co-regulate with someone. They're all auto-regulators. They regulate themselves, and they usually do it with 
with some uh, system outside of themselves, either a process uh, or sometimes substances. The, there's a high rate of addiction and dismissing people that comes from needing to be able to auto-regulate. Is that making sense? So one of the things that uh, we can do later in life is in examining this is to uh, figure out what skills we have and what skills we're missing so that we can begin to develop the deficits. I think that in uh, it takes some uh, discipline uh, and also some willingness to do this because the development of the deficits is hard and takes patience and time, repetition in order to be able to do it. So often what we tend to do instead is simply to avoid um, the deficits and just focus on the assets. So I notice a lot of people in, in meditation who I work with initially come uh, and want to reinforce the, the skill set that they already have and they don't really look so much at the skill set that they're missing. So that's part of this. So we talked about the emotional regulation piece. We talked about the mentalizing piece. Then we need to talk about the exploration piece. How do you know what's actually meaningful and what isn't meaningful? I often tell the, I call it the Apple story, but it's this. Uh, so 45 years ago, when I first got sober in New York, I had this this question of what do I do now? Uh, because my sponsor at the time was very big on the AA is a bridge back to life, but you have to cross the bridge and go back out into life. And when you're standing at the foot of the bridge wondering what it is that you're supposed to actually be doing, what is going to be meaningful, when you're not a good explorer, it can appear quite daunting. And so we said, well, what kind of apples do you like? And I said, well, I don't really like apples. They're green, they're hard, they're sour. He said, well, Granny Smiths are, but those aren't the only apples. But we never really had uh, much exposure to apples outside of Granny Smiths uh, in the way that I grew up. We did have Harry and David that came, you know, Christmas time, and they were these giant uh, apples, but they were really sort of milly and tasteless. They looked good, but they weren't that uh, they weren't that good at eating apples. So he said, you're going to go to the Korean deli, you're going to buy a Granny Smith, and you're going to buy one other apple, and you're going to eat them both. And then the next day, you're going to go, you're going to buy the apple you liked better and another apple. And you're going to eat them both. And you're going to keep doing that until you've tried all of the apples in the Korean deli, which at the time was, I think, 26 varieties of apples. It's a lot of different apples. And so I did that. It took me about a month to get through it. And at the end of it, I liked gala apples, and I still like them, and I often have them in the fridge. Christian. George, how about them apples in back of you? What's going on there? Oh. <laughs> so these are by an artist called Jessica Rath, and she uh, they are actual life-size uh, depictions of certain types of apples. So the ones in the middle are crab apples, and then there are two other varieties. And she makes them out of porcelain, and they're glazed. I got them because uh, uh, I was a ceramicist in an early part of my life, and 
the to get the kind of glaze finish that she has on those apples requires an extraordinary technique. And so when I look at them, they, they, they're these exquisite examples, not only of what they represent, but also the, the technique in order to get them to look the way that they do. So, so, so your apple exploration then was the fuel for you to go into ceramics and bonsai <laughs> and like that how it worked or what um well it's interesting i think that we learn um to explore if we do in our family system and it, it, it the initial thing that we do as children are the things that are appealing to our caregivers right so in my family system my mother um was a photographer and then she did ceramics. And so I, I always was around that. So it was something that uh, appealed to me. Um, bonsai trees were, uh, um, I wanted something that would address my impatience in everything. And bonsai trees require an exorbitant amount of patience and, and vision. You know, you have to uh, to be successful in making these little trees uh, look like uh, large trees uh, when they're just really a, a stick. Uh, is to imagine how the uh, how the branches are going to grow, and so that you can organize the growing of them over years to come out that way. Um, the aesthetic of it I always liked, uh, but also my mother and my grandmother were, were great gardeners. But, uh, and so in growing up, my summers were uh, watching my mother and my grandmother garden pretty much all day, most days over the course of the summer. We grew up in Chicago, so it's, you know, the spring, summer and fall are probably a shorter time than the, the winter. And so it was a language that I understood. This is the thing about growing up the way that we do, where we come in without anything set, and then we absorb from the environment that we grow up in uh, uh, the languages of different things. I guess that's a similar reason to why I play the stupid, torturous violin and <laughs> something smart with my son. Well, yes, you had a musical. You grew up in a musical family. Right. My mother uh, played the clarinet, and, and uh, so we also had music. But then uh, in, in the 50s, growing up, children had music because the understanding was that if you learned music, that you were developing a brain that could then understand mathematics. Uh, there was a different; it was a different time than now. Not that the understanding has changed, just that our willingness to fund the programs has changed. <clears throat> but also, you know, um, I wanted to play the flute, and so I, I signed up to play the flute. And uh, I rented a flute, you know, through the, the school rental program. 
And I wasn't good at playing the flute. I guess, you know, kids aren't necessarily good at different things. But my dad came in one day and said, uh, how much is that flute rental? And I told him. And he said, you know, it's not worth it. Take it back. Which I think meant that he, he didn't like my efforts at playing the flute. It disturbed his peace in the house. And so I went and I turned in the flute and, um, and the music teacher said, you know, there's a scholarship for tuba rentals. It's free. So I took a tuba home and played that instead. I'm, I'm, there was a certain delight <laughs> in me blasting the tuba <laughs> in place of the flute. Because of the way I interpreted what my dad had said to me, then I actually got pretty good at playing the tuba. So it's funny how things—you're never really sure how the direction is going to go, which is the thing about exploration. Uh huh. So this might not actually be based in anything, but it sounds like you had many—you know—if you're coming out of a disorganized childhood, you had many different seeds planted. Is it possible that a disorganized person might actually have a little bit better of a grasp on exploring than a preoccupied person? Um, preoccupied people don't really explore because they're, they can't separate from the attachment figure uh, in order to develop the capacity to explore. Uh, fearful avoidant people, uh, because it's an avoidance strategy, that comes from neglect, but also from trauma or abuse. Uh, try things. But one of the reasons that you, when I talk about these things, and I've done a lot of different things, which somebody who was secure probably might not do, because they get into something and they're supported and they develop a, a capacity to do it and it carries them forward. So they move out of the beginning of something into the middle and often have finishes. But um, disorganized people, it doesn't work like that. They start something they often do well. They don't have the support to really get past the, the, the beginning of the middle. And then it all comes apart. And then there's a negative association with that particular uh, path. So a new path is discovered. And then there's a the beginning part of the path usually goes pretty well. And then you begin to move into the middle. And then all of the difficulties that disorganized people have, the lack of reliability, the volatility of relationships kicks in. And the, that particular path of exploration blows up. It creates a negative impression about that particular path, or you burn the opportunities. And then you find another path to explore. And so what you'll notice in disorganized people is that there's lots of beginnings, some middles, but, but not that many finishes, if any. Where secure people get into something and they get deeply into it and then it carries them a, a greater distance so that they don't have uh, the bandwidth to do so many different things.
preoccupied people don't explore, but they do often attach to people and follow their exploration. So they have a vicarious experience of it. But what we want to do is to be able to identify the things that in the doing of them we find meaningfulness, and then also to be able to show up uh, reliably and pursue them and have uh, support that we can go into them deeply and that they can carry us uh, into the middle and then into the conclusion of that particular vein of exploration. Typically what you need around you is uh, a group of people that you can share openly with what those, ex what that meaningfulness is that you're pursuing and how you're finding it or not finding it. And then they can support you in doing that. Without that support, it's very difficult to get that far. Because dismissing people tend to be searching for resources, time, energy, resources, to transact the care that they want. The exploration doesn't matter so much. The thing that they do doesn't matter so much to them, as long as it's, it remunerates in the way that they want. So, you know, if the advantage of growing up in a family system where the things that you really valued were uh, uh, elicited from you and then cherished and then supported so that you could develop a sense of mastery at doing them, uh, then you, you quite contentedly go along and figure them out. And then that becomes a currency in the relationship, the, the sharing of those things. And if you grow up in family systems where that wasn't done, you don't know the value of the sharing of it. So, you know, you might not recognize it, or you may lose yourself and follow somebody else's exploration instead of your own. Or you just simply may not be able to explore. One of the things about disorganized people is that they tend to regulate their emotions uh, in isolation, which takes a long time and a lot of energy to do it. So they're, they don't, they're not resilient in terms of exploring. So they'll, they'll make a, a gesture of exploration, but if it doesn't go really well, uh, the, the distress of it not going well derails it. So they, they're not able to pursue it. So then they have a, the question of meaningfulness, the, the sense of despair that often arises around so if it were simple, that is to say, if you could just recognize that you don't express yourself authentically and start expressing yourself authentically, then you could draw around you the people that would be interested in supporting you as you explore in the way that you need to, and you could find out from them the things that you need to know. But because it's such an, a difficult and painful task to learn to be inauthentic in the first place, coming out of it is also really challenging. So the model that I like to use to describe it is, if you're not so far down the rabbit hole of inauthenticity that you don't recognize when you're inauthentic anymore, don't recognize what's authentic, when your authentic experience arises, uh, the thought that you would express yourself authentically triggers abandonment terror. 
that the body-mind moves to regulate that abandonment terror. And if the way that you regulate the abandonment terror is by making an inauthentic expression, you make the inauthentic expression and it regulates the abandonment terror. And you actually think that that's productive, even though your, uh, your, your expressions are inauthentic. You think if it's in a relationship context that you're preserving the relationship when in fact you're damaging the relationship because you're misrepresenting yourself. The other person will ultimately experience that as manipulative. And then a little while later, you're angry that you haven't had your authentic needs met, you haven't been able to express yourself authentically, and you're angry at the person that you feel made you do that in order to preserve the relationship, even though most of the time they don't demand that of you. It's the habit of inauthenticity without actually checking whether that's what's needed. If you do push into the authentic expression, it intensifies the abandonment here. So you have to be willing to ride out the abandonment here. And if you ride out the abandonment here, uh, you're hit with a wave of the terrible sadness as you begin to realize that even though in childhood the demand that you be inauthentic was there, after childhood was over, the demand was not there. You didn't need to do it. You could have developed your own interests. You could have developed your own self-expression and you didn't do it. And that's a terrible sadness, a terrible bitterness. But if you begin to do it now, that carries you through that sadness into a place of authenticity, uh, which is quite meaningful. So you can get through it. It's just you have to be willing to sit it out, sit through the terrible sadness, sit through the Anxiety. That's one of the reasons I like the tangas of Taparitsa, which is that he sits there immobile through all of this experience. That the, the, the abandonment anxiety comes and goes and he's still there. The terrible sadness of uh, the abandonment, your own abandonment of yourself in the inauthentic experience sits through it and comes out the other side in a place of security. Then, then you can be uh, in a place where you can gather around you the social network to support you to really go for the things that you want to go for. And it doesn't matter whether you get them or not, it's the going for them that derives the meaning as soon as you get something, of course, you have to go after something else. So uh, that isn't the, the thing we're talking about. But uh, then the people around you who uh, support you and delight in the pursuits that you engage in. Um, so let's uh, do some meditation. What do you think? I'm, I think that I may have figured out how to get the bell to sound. So we'll see whether that's true or not. I'm going to ring the bell and then you let me know whether you can hear it. No. Okay. No? Darn. Good thing I'd gotten it. You have to say bell at the same time you ring it. Yeah. 
Ai, ai, ai. All right. So, let us uh, do some meditation. I want to do uh, just a little concentration practice and then some uh, see, hear, feel, and then we'll do focus in, focus out. Go ahead and take your meditation posture. Ringing the bell. How was that? Good enough? Better. Better? <laughs> Good. Better than I used to do. Yeah. Better. I can stay with it a little bit longer. I think I'm starting to, through the repetition, starting to grasp kind of how it works internally. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I had those other questions I emailed you. I don't know if it's appropriate to ask here or, or not, or if somebody else wants to talk. Yeah. What are the questions? Um, it was with um with an IPF facilitator, is it important or extra valuable if they already have earned security? Um, it can be, but it's not necessary. Um, uh -huh. What's what you want in somebody's uh, who's facilitating is that they have done uh, uh, IPF enough that they actually understand how it's supposed to work internally, uh -huh. so that they can help uh, and support your practice. Why have you found somebody who's not secure? I don't know. I didn't ask. <laughs> Oh. I just thought, well, maybe I should have asked. <laughs> um, I would and ask. I just, well, but how would they know? They would have had to go through and do the AI in the beginning and the ANI in the end. That's the only way, right? Right. And why wouldn't you have a facilitator who's done that? They're in training. Huh. They should have the before then. They would have the before, but maybe not the after. Right. Yeah. So I'm kind of assuming that since it's an intern type, that they probably don't. But I'll ask. Okay. I'll ask. And the other question is, uh, I noticed that I'm filtering through all my friends and noticing, or acquaintances or whatever, and, and noticing that they all seem like they have insecure attachment and I can kind of start to see where they are <laughs> and it, and then I don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, Cause I, <laughs> it's cause I want secure attachment people and I don't know where they are. And, and I see how they're playing out their insecure attachment as much as I know. And I like, well, I don't want to be involved with that friend anymore. Well, I would think of it more as a flow of energy. You have to have your social group around you to support you so that you can continue your exploration to the level yeah. that they can support you is fine. It's just that you flow an amount of energy into the relationship that's commiserate with what you're getting out of the relationship, uh, which is which is balanced. It's when it becomes uh, unbalanced and you're putting too much energy in that it becomes an issue. But I wouldn't, uh, in, a in a wholesale sense, chuck everyone I knew, <laughs> because they'll be too alone. 
I know that's the problem. I can't find any secure attachment people. Right. Well, you yeah. live in meditation centers, so there aren't going to be that. Well, many. and there aren't there aren't many there. Yeah, unfortunately, that's where a lot of them. The refuge don't. for people who don't have that. Right. Maybe I should get out of the retreat business. Yeah. yeah. Or have a a uh, social connection that is wider than just that community. That's true. Yeah. Okay, I'll think about that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Cindy, I, I found that I kind of went through a bit of a, a phase that perhaps I'm still in, but where I kind of saw everything through like super attachment glasses. And I, I think you, I think you like learn to integrate it and like, and I, I am like curious about all the people I know and their attachment status, but I also don't let that, like, I kind of have a sense of what they mean to me beyond that as well. And I feel like you kind of integrate it. Yeah, I've learned to do that because everybody I see has something. Yeah. And, and yeah, and just finding a way to work with it energetically and not reject people because they're not secure. Right. You just need to balance the energy flow so that, that it isn't a, it's in balance. And that's a skill set in itself. Yeah. Is that part of the stepping stone for secure attachment then, right? I I think it is. You 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 sort of order the importance of the relationships and, and what you and how supportive they are to you and how much energy it takes to support them. Because you're going for collaborative relationships, right? So you have to to balance that. Right. And then put more energy into the relationships that are more productive and less energy into the relationships that are less productive until you achieve that that balance. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, I for instance, I have a, a friend. I don't see see him very much uh, at this point, maybe a couple of times a year. Uh, but that's as reliable as he is. So I don't make any individual plans with him because he's not reliable enough. But I do include him in group plans. And then um, uh, if there's a group event where it doesn't matter whether he comes or not. So I wouldn't invite him to a dinner party where there was a chair waiting for him. But I, I would invite him to a gathering where whether he came or not didn't matter. That makes sense. Uh, and then when he does come, it's a delight. Uh -huh. When he doesn't come, it's not a deficit. So that, that's just, the, the balance. Right. It's just unreliable that way. Yeah. So good. Thanks for coming. Um, we have uh, a level one coming up. Uh, we have a level two coming up. We're going to do an addiction, uh, level one addiction focus class in May. We have an EU class, a level one EU class coming up in April. Uh, so there's a lot of things happening. We have the Utrecht retreat in June. So uh, we're starting our first uh, Central European time level two, which is starting in 
July. So there's a bunch of stuff on the website. Take a look, see if anything's interesting. Um, I offer this class on a Donna basis. Donna is the poly word for generosity. So I offer the teaching freely, but I do hope if you, you're able, you'll make a donation. There's a link on the website to do that. Really appreciate your practice. Thanks for coming. We will see you again soon. Bye.